Hey there, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Christina Cardoza, news editor of SD Times. Joining us today is Chris Richardson, a microservice consultant, author of Microservices Patterns book, and founder of the transactional microservices company, Ventuate. Hey, Chris, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for inviting me. So over the years, I've had the pleasure of sitting in a couple of talks you've done at various software development conferences, and seems like the overarching theme has always been exposing the challenges of microservices or really trying to get attendees to look beyond the term, that it doesn't necessarily mean small or that less is better. So as you've been giving these talks and as you've been talking to various people in the industry and your own clients, what do you think the state of microservice understanding is today? Are people finally looking beyond the term and getting what it really means? Yeah, that's a great question. I I, I think it varies. Um, you know, it's, as with most kind of concepts, it takes a while for, such, should we say, best practices through, to diffuse throughout the community. So yeah, so there are some people who obviously have been using it for a while and, and they have a good sense of what microservices are and, and the issues, yet at the same time, the number of organizations that are interested in adopting microservices, I think, has grown dramatically. And so, so sort of there's this growth that's led to organize, to another set of organizations who are now trying to figure it out. But you know, at the same time, the body of best practices is, is sort of growing. You know, I could say my book came out, and so I think that's a valuable resource, and and, and so on. Um, so it's sort of mixed. So what would you say are um, you know the characteristics of a good microservice? What are the people who are doing this successfully doing? Well, I think that I mean, there's a number of different factors. Um, you know, I mean, I want to say rather than say that, I mean, there's sort of two levels to this. One is, well, what, you know, you said, what, what is the characteristics of a good microservice? I would sort of take that up a level and say, what are the characteristics of a good microservice architecture? Um, so I think that that's the first thing to bear in mind. So, you know, it's like, you know, the first definition is the microservice architecture is an architectural style for your application that structures it as a set of services. And then you could then talk about the characteristics of each service. You know, number one, each service should be highly maintainable and testable. Given that that's sort of one of the primary objectives, the primary motivations for adopting the microservice architecture is to have an architecture that's highly testable and highly maintainable and so on. Um, you know, another key characteristic is that services should be lo loosely coupled. So say a change to one service should not regularly force other services to be changed in lockstep. I mean, that's since another key goal of the microservice architecture is to enable loosely coupled teams to work in parallel with minimal coordination. You need According to Conway's law, you have to have a loosely coupled architecture to facilitate that. Um, and then, you know, I think another key characteristic is, you know, each service should be owned by a small team. Um, and in particular, I think a good starting point is for each team to just have one service. So actually start off with a relatively coarse grained architecture 
and only if it solves a problem to, in a you know, sense, make things more testable and easier to deploy should you start going down the route to a finer grained architecture. So the organizations that are struggling with this, what are they missing or what are they not getting? I mean, it, it varies. Um, you know, I, I wrote up a collection of anti-patterns that had, had sort of described what I'd observed working with various organizations around the world um, about sort of various misconceptions. So like the first anti-pattern is the magic pixie dust pattern. That's the idea is, you know, or the belief that, well, we're just going to sprinkle microservices on our development organization and that will fix all of our problems. Um, and in fact, you know, the microservice architecture solves certain problems, but it will leave other ones unaddressed. So for instance, if you're not doing automated testing, you're not writing clean code, the microservice architecture isn't gonna solve that for you. Um, you know, another, another anti-pattern is, is basically making microservices the goal. Um, you know, in a sense, defining success as the more, you know, the more microservices, the better. Um, and that sort of is, is establishing the wrong goal um, and also can lead to a very fine-grained architecture, which is another anti-pattern, the more the merrier anti-pattern. You know, the goal really should be to accelerate software delivery. And the microservice architecture is, is a way, and it's not the only way to actually accomplish that. Um, so those, you know, so those are quite common anti-patterns. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, having a two, I think a too fine-grained architecture is, is another common problem. You know, one of the issues you have with the term microservice is that you hear micro, right, which implies small, tiny. And in the earlier days of sort of, you know, the microservice sort of adoption, you'd hear people say 100 lines of code, a week's worth of work or two weeks worth of work. And I think that, you know, that's one co common misunderstanding that hopefully is gradually going away. And so for me, you know, the right size microservice is one that's owned by a relatively small team of people, you know, say, should we say six to eight to 10 people, you know, so-called um, two pizza team, and can be and is highly maintainable and highly testable. And that clearly can be a service that's more than 100 lines of code, right? Great. So when we talk about um, anti-patterns, these aren't really challenges or obstacles that organizations recognize and they're trying to get over. Are these more, you know, bad approaches to the way that they are doing microservices? Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. It's more misconceptions around so, the the goal of microservices. So if you're doing microservices wrong and you're headed down these anti-patterns, how do you know if you're going the wrong way? What are some telltale signs that you're doing this wrong? Well, for instance, I mean, one one sign is things might not be getting any better, right? Um, you know, presumably you, you, you adopted microservices for, 
at least hopefully for a good reason, to improve the state of your, your software delivery, to improve the productivity of your organization. And, you know, so one sign that things are not get you know, that you're going down the wrong path is if things aren't actually getting better. Or, or in fact, it could be going in the opposite direction and getting worse. Um, and I guess at this point, it's probably worthwhile pointing out that I think some key metrics that an organization should measure are firstly lead time, you know, which, which is the time from a developer committing a change to that change being deployed into production. You know, that, that's a metric that you want to see reduced over time. Um, and then another related metric is deployment frequency. You want to see that metric actually going up, um, and sort of the, you know, the traditional way of deploying software, right, was well monthly releases, should we say, which meant your lead time for changes was roughly a month, your deployment frequency was once a month, whereas the state of the art today is deploying into production multiple times a day, with with correspondingly very short lead times. And so that's the direction that you want to be heading in. Now, I know um, organizations are also turning to service meshes as a way to help with their microservices. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what this is and why it's becoming so popular recently? Yeah, well, that, that's definitely another hot, trendy topic. Um, so briefly, a, a service mesh is essentially a layer of not networking software that manages all of the network traffic in and out of your services, both from the outside world into a service and also between services. So in other words, if service A wants to talk to service B, um, it do, they don't communicate directly. They actually go via the service mesh. Um, and, and and it's a super interesting idea um, because, say, some of the one of the features that a service mesh typically provides is intelligent traffic routing, um, and that um, one of the things that lets you do is is say canary deployments, where you imagine you've got version one of a service running in production, where you could deploy version two side by side. And then you can define routing rules that say what percentage of production traffic should go to version one versus version two. So in the beginning, you could just route a tiny percentage of production traffic to version two to actually like test it in production and then ch change the routing rule to route more and more traffic from um, to version two until 100% of your traffic is going, going to it. So it's a great, it's kind of this sort of canary deployment mechanism is like one of the, is a, is a extremely useful tool that can accelerate the pace at which you do deployments into production and do it in a safe way. Um, and there's other benefits with service meshes as well, like um, um, securing um, um, communication between your services as well, like managing the certificates for TLS and so on, which would be painful to actually do within the services themselves. 
So it's quite, it's not an absolute, it's not an essential tool. And I feel like to some extent, the technology is still, shall we say, <clears throat> emerging. Um, you know, it's still taking, you know, this, it's still maturing, but I think it, it has um, tremendous potential. And it's something that personally I'm quite interested in. Right. So where, um, you know, do you think all of this is going to be going in the next couple of years? You know, what is on the horizon for microservices? What else can we expect? Um, maybe the short answer there is perhaps expect the unexpected. Um, you know, in a sense that, um, you know, if you look at, say, the adoption of Docker, right? That just went from zero to 100 miles an hour in a very short amount of time. Um, so it's possible that somewhere there is some super cool new technology that's been, already been invented. It just hasn't been heard of widely. Um, so I think, you know, that, there's that, that, that can happen at sort of, say, the leading edge. But on the other hand, I think it's just, you know, kind of like, increasing adoption of of this technology um i think it's the main thing we're going to see um and then you know certainly within enterprises which i think to some extent it's still quite early days for 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 a lot of enterprises but you know they're going to be adopting devops and and you know being restructured as small autonomous teams and so that they can deliver software rapidly, frequently, and reliably. You know, it's all wrapped up with the whole digital transformation thing. And I think, you know, the microservice architecture is just going to be one of the key enablers for that. Great. Thanks so much. I know this is such a um, big topic. We could probably go on forever talking about this, but I think that's all the time we're going to have for today. Um, as always, you can find some more information about this topic on the sdtimes.com website and on Chris's website, chrisrichardson.net. Thanks again, Chris, for all of the information. We'll talk to you soon. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you.